So I've titled today's sermon, What Are You Waiting For? Now I'm sure each of you have waited for something um, with online orders, it's great. Uh, watching for that delivery, watching Uber Eats and wondering why they're taking so long at that robot. Resetting your app because they seem to be stuck there. Anyone done that? Waiting for your teenage son to finish doing his hair. Anyone had that? You can use me as a testimony. This is what happens if you spend too much time on it. We spend time waiting in home affairs. Anyone done that? Traffic department. Anyone had that wait for someone outside the airport for the delayed flight? Anyone had those? We've had good moments of waiting, the excitement of a package, the the waiting for an exam to be over that you didn't study for. Good experiences, bad experiences. Well, there was a husband that had retired and he had plans for his retirement and uh, his wife had other plans. And uh, she kind of said to him, it's not fair that she's been doing the grocery shopping alone, um, that he needs to join her. And so every time she went out shopping, he had to join her. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the husband bench outside. And, and so anyway, this lady got a, a letter from Walmart management, and it stated this. It said, Miss, uh, Dear Miss Staples, over the past six months, your husband, Roy Staples, has been causing quite a commotion in our Lowton store. We cannot tolerate this type of behavior, and as a result, we will ban your entire family from shopping at any of our stores if, if even one more incident occurs. We have documented all the incidents in our video surveillance, uh, with our video surveillance equipment. Three of our clerks are currently attending counseling from trouble your husband has caused. All complaints against your husband have been compiled in the list below. November the 13th, went to the food court, got a soft drink, and told them he doesn't get out much. Could they put one of those little umbrellas in it? 23rd of November, set all the alarm clocks in the housewares to go off in five-minute intervals. 10th of December, made a trail of orange juice on the floor leading to the restrooms. 23rd of December, walked up to an employee and told her in an official tone, it's code three in housewares, and he watched what happened. 10th of January, went to the service desk and asked if he could put a bag of M&Ms on lay-by. 23rd of January, moved a caution wet floor to a carpeted area. 15th of February, set up a tent in the camping department and told other shoppers He'd invite them in if they bring pillows from the bedding department, of which 20 children obliged. 5th of March, when a clerk asked him if he could help him, he threw himself down on the floor and began to cry and wail, Why can't you people just leave me alone? 26th of March, looked right into a security camera and used it as a mirror to pick his nose. 15th of April, Darted around the store looking around suspiciously while loudly humming Mission Possible theme. 26th of April, in the auto department, placed Madonna, uh, uh, practiced his Madonna lookalike using different funnels. 5th of May, hid in the clothing rack and as people browsed through, he yelled, pick me, pick me. 12th of May. Uh, when an announcement came over the loudspeaker, he assumed the fetal position and screamed, Oh no, oh no, those voices are back again. And last but not least, just today, 16th of May, went into the fitting room, shut the door and waited a while. 
and then yelled very loudly, Hey, someone, I need toilet paper in here. So we sometimes get up to mischief, or I don't know, that was maybe me. We get up to things when we're waiting for things. Maybe our minds wonder. And I, I don't know if you're in a place where you're waiting. Maybe you're waiting on the Lord for something. Maybe you're waiting for that next breakthrough. Maybe you're waiting for that answer that you've been praying for. Maybe you've been struggling with a number of things and issues. Maybe you're waiting for the Lord's return. We hear more and more as, as incidences are going on that God has to be coming back soon. But we don't know when. But maybe we're waiting on Him. We see the early disciples as, as ascension happened, as they looked up, they were told that Christ would return. His return fueled the urgency in their ministry. It really drove them. And it's a question that there's sometimes on our mind is, is when is God going to come back? When's this going to be over? When are we going to get through the struggles that we're having? When are we going to get through this? And we kind of wrestle with that. But the question we sometimes ask with a when isn't the right question. See, what we need to be asking, we need to be asking, uh, we mustn't be asking when God is going to come, but rather what is he busy doing and how do we respond? And this is the question that's happened. In Thessalonica, uh, uh, the church has kind of had some, some false prophets coming in and telling them that the, the um, second coming has uh, come already, that they've missed the rapture, God has come, and they're worried or uh, teaching them that the dead won't be raised and so raised. And what happens is in chapter 4, Paul deals with this. And he deals with the resurrection, but we jump to chapter 5, which is where we're going to be today. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to pick it up from verse 1. And we see this, and, and he, he kind of deals with this fear and anxiety, all the feeling of just missed out, not being good enough. And maybe that's where you're at today. This fear and this overwhelmingness of what is going on as you're squashed, as you're pushed in, as you're pressed on all sides, and you're going, God, where are you? When are we going to get through this? When is this going to finish? When's this going to change? And that's maybe where you're at, looking up to the sky, saying, God, come back. I need you now. So we ask the wrong question. See, it's not about saying when God is going to come back. In fact, he turns around in chapter 5, uh, chapter five verse 1. He says, now, brothers and sisters, about the dates and times, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. As labor pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. But the times and the dates I do not need to tell you. What's he saying there? Well, Paul doesn't know. No one knows. God knows. And his timing is perfect. So we don't ask the when, God, when are you going to come back? God, when are you going to get me through this? God, when's my next break? God, when's this happening? We've got to respond with a basis of saying, God, what are you doing? How are you using this? What are you busy at work in? What way do I need to respond to you? So it's an attitude and a question of what and how is what we need to respond See, God is coming, 
1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17, he said, After that, those who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord forever. Such encouragement. God is coming. He is at work and he is doing something. In fact, we see in verse 18 of chapter 4, it says, Therefore encourage one another with these words. What were these words? What was mentioned before? Encouragement that we are going to be with Christ. We're going to be raised up, raised up with him. And that's the encouragement and the drive that gets us through. So what is God, what is God doing? Well, God is busy and active. He's not waiting and saying, you know, I'm going to make you sit there. Some parents, you made me wait, so I'm going to make you wait. Ever done that? Don't you put your hands up? I won't tell them in teen church. But don't we do that? God's not doing that. But his timing is perfect. His timing is perfect and he is busy. And we will return and be raised with him. So we get to chapter 5. And Paul kind of focuses on the day of the Lord. When judgment comes and he highlights two kind of people. Those in darkness and those who are in light. And he highlights this. Those who are in darkness are asleep. They're going to be surprised. They're drunk. And they're going to face God's wrath. And we see that. But those who are in the light are awake. They're aware. Not caught off guard. They're self-controlled. And they know God's salvation. And so when he deals with the church, we see in here he refers to us as, as those in the light. There's two choices here. There's no between, but a choice of either we are in the light or in the darkness. Either we know Christ as our Lord and Savior, or we're trying to go it on our own. Where are we? So how do we kind of deal with waiting? Isn't it difficult? Don't we want to get up to mischief sometimes? Don't we be like that husband? I've got many, many pranks when I retire. I've been storing them up. I figured with age you can get away with a few things. Don't we do that? Don't we get to this place where we become sometimes numb and we forget that Christ is coming, He is returning, and He's coming for us? And we forget that, and we just become kind of numb and we slip in to things. We slip sometimes into to doing and imitating what happens in the darkness instead of imitating the light. We slip into those ways. We become numb. We face with struggles and, and we just move away from what God is doing. So, how do we address this? Well, firstly, while we wait, we must remember who we are. While we wait, we must remember who we are. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness, so this day should not surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. Notice this basis that Paul uses. He doesn't say here, um, you are becoming children of the light. He doesn't say it's optional. He doesn't say that there's a to-do guide on how to make your light shine. Fire is gone. He's not saying that. But he uses the words, but you, brothers and sisters, 
brethren, as some of the other versions will say, you are not in. See the tone, the tense here? You may sometimes feel like you've messed up. You may sometimes feel like sin has got a hold of you. You may feel sometimes so distant from God, so caught up with what is going on, but you are not in the darkness. You are not in the darkness when you know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. We are children of the day. What does it refer to the day? Well, we're told Christ is the light. We are His children. That is who we are. We mustn't forget that. Now, growing up in the South Rand, I often mention this just to make you scared. Um, growing up in the South of Johannesburg, we would sometimes compete against the East Rand. And uh, those guys from the East Rand, those BU places, Benoni, Broxbank, you know, watch out. And, and remember, we would go and do different things. And I remember going into Alberson City and playing snooker, and, and some of my friends were getting in a fight. And you would hear that, hey, Bru, tell him who I are. And you think, whoa, the East Rand is so bad that the guys can't even remember who they are. <laughs> Don't we sometimes do that? We forget who we are in Christ. We lose that, that we're in the light. We are children of the light. Colossians 1 verse 13 says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Son of light. What does it mean to be called the Son of? We see Barnabas, the Son of encouragement. It's a definition, it's an attribute of who you are and the identity. As we try to give nicknames today of different people, I used to be called Bart Simpson because of my haircut and the fact that I was tortured a lot of my teachers because of what I did. And here he says, we are the sons of the light. Why? Because we have Christ in us. Because of the position that Christ has made us. You are sons of light. Matthew 5 verse 14, you are the light of the world. 1 John 15, uh, sorry, 1 John 1 5. This is the message that you heard from him and declared to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we came to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We are in the light. Now you may have struggled, you may have slipped away, you may have been overwhelmed at present. But it's not about us trying to gain this, trying to do this. Paul reminds the church in their moments of fear and anxiety, you are the light. Church, you are the light. Not what you did, but because of what Christ has done for us. So in moments of darkness... We can do nothing but shine. That's who we are. But moving on from that, if that's who we are, then while we wait, we must remember how we should act. While we wait, we should, must remember how we should act if we are children of the light. goes on, verse 6. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober, 
For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. Since, they belong to, uh, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith as, and love as a breastplate. And the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Incredible. So what's our response? How must we act in our waiting? Must we act like this husband that went into the shop and, and caused havoc? Do we start to interact with the darkness? And you'll notice that the darkness and what goes on, the, 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 so, um, the drunkness and the, the sleep. Now we all sleep at night, hopefully. Uh, maybe not Lindsay and Denny, but uh, we sleep at night. <laughs> um, and often at night is when the thief, we're told, would come. Now we in Johannesburg, Johannesburg, Pretoria, we know about that. I loved doing patrols as a police reservist at night. Um, it was great because you would watch the community change and you would see the lights of the houses change. Okay, I kind of sound like a stalker now. But uh, as you would drive past and you would see that and you would see the flickering blue TV and eventually you would have the stillness at a certain point in the night. People weren't expectant. They weren't at a place looking for opportunity. Often that was a time that they would be surprised. A thief would come, not make an appointment. They would do politics if that was the case. No. Um, they don't make an appointment. They would simply just come. And so are we asleep or are we awake? It's this attitude of spiritual awareness. Are we aware of what God is doing and busy presently doing? Because God is active. God isn't dead and he is coming back and he is at work preparing for his, for his son's return. Are we alert to what God is doing? It's the spiritual awareness. Or we slipped into a darkness where we have kind of just been caught up in sin. And moving away from him. Almost becoming numb. Because as he turns around, it's stay awake. Let's make every effort to be alert and awake. Now we know we get two kinds of people. Those are morning people and those who are evening people. In our house, we've got two people that are morning people and two people that are, are night people. The two boys, Joshua and I, I can stay up very late at night. But try wake us up in the morning. Um, Sarah sometimes have to say, has to say to me, please go wake Joshua up. And I get him awake. Why? Because I know how I would like to be woken up with food. Um, <laughs> and those night hours that are, I mean day hours that are straight up, up in bed, morning comes, they, they'll be up before their alarm clock. Anyone like that here? And this is what he's talking about. The spiritual awareness is waiting on the Lord, waiting to see what God's doing, waiting for the next blessing. It's this active, I'm awake, I'm alert, I'm looking for God. Are we there at that place where we are making every effort to stay awake to see what God is doing? Gives the instructions for those in the light to be sober, the opposite of drunkness. Now, I've arrested quite a few drunk people. And I'll tell you what is very interesting. Um, and you watch this character that comes. Some of the guys become very passive. Those who are, are often extroverts become quite sober and that. And some people just go to the extreme. Their character just goes wild. 
And they have absolutely no control. I put some of these guys in, in a holding cell. And the next morning you see a very different kind of character from the guy that's going, you can't keep me here. And you see this change. They have no control. And so what he's talking about here is a self-control. Let's be spiritually alert, but let's also be sober. Let's make judgments in what God is calling us to do. A self-control. God, where are you wanting me to be? I want to know your spirit's leading. Not the other spirit's leading, but your spirit's leading. Your direction. Take me, Lord. Where am I going? So how should we act with a spiritual awareness and with a soberness that is self-controlled? And Paul kind of brings back to the armor here. And very strangely, that why he fits us in, but refers to the defensive armor, the breastplate and the, and the helmet. He's saying, and the, and the kind of instruction, the tense here is a continuous tense. Every day let's pick up the breastplate. Every day let's put the helmet. It's an active thing that we have to do. So if we want spiritual awareness and being alert and we want to be sober, then what we've got to do is we've got to put on the breastplate and the helmet. Why? Because those two very things guard the heart and the mind. The breastplate we are told is of faith and love. What does this mean? Well, the outside, the hard part, the protective part is the faith. Without faith, we have nothing. It's about putting our faith in God. In these situations, these circumstances where I'm going through God, where it seems so overwhelming, where I seem like I'm trapped, where are you? It's getting back to a place of saying, God, I trust in you. Only you can deliver. Only you can make this glorify you. God, I put my trust in you. We need to say that daily. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget to put it on. We need to put on that blessed prayer of faith. But the love part is almost a soft part that would be on that blessed prayer. They would go towards the body. And that's the reminder of God's love. Daily we need to remember that we are loved by God. How do we know? Because he sent his son to die for us. Daily we live out by faith. And as we live by faith, as we put our trust in him, we're reminded that we're not just putting our trust in a stranger, but in the person that loves us, that gave us his all. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to place on that breastplate. Secondly, the helmet of salvation. It guards the mind. Is, is Paul saying here the helmet put this helmet in salvation? It's, it's this hope in salvation. Is he saying that? Just as we hope that the post office will deliver something. As we hope that this circumstance would happen. As we hope the electricity will be on tomorrow. As we hope we can come back to church next week because I preached. As we hope. That's not something we have certainty in. But the hope of our salvation is not that God is doing, but God has done. That we have our salvation in Him. So it becomes this anchor, hope in an absolute certainty. And that's what we anchor in. So often when we're caught up in the darkness, we are trying to find a grip on anything. 
We try to place our hope in other things. But when we go through difficult times, when we go through struggles, in order to wait, in order to act out correctly, we place our hope in our salvation. In the Lord, which is done. Incredible that we can anchor in Him. And so... We need to realize who we are. We need to realize how we should act. But thirdly, while we wait, we must remember our destiny. Our destiny. Some of you are bearing through the, the service. I remember when I first started preaching, somebody said to me, you better be finished before the 8 o'clock movie. Some of you are worried about the roast that's in the oven. Some of you are worrying if there is a roast in the oven. But when we go somewhere, isn't it incredible? I, I hear so many conversations of people turning around saying to me, oh, the planned holiday that we've got, that's what's getting me going through, getting through this. Maybe the place where you're going, when that tax return comes, I'm, I'm hoping on that. And we cling to something. As Christians, the, the early church had so focused on God's return, they were so focused on their destiny. And that's where we need to be. We need to be not dwelling on it, but aware of it. We need to be so uh, focused on the fact that we're going to be with Christ one day. Verse 10 says this, He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, now this is a different kind of thing, this is talking about death, whether we're dead or alive, whether we're awake or, or, uh, awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact as you're doing. And so we need to remember our destiny. One day, we will be in heaven. One day, we will experience glorification. One day, we'll be able to get to a place where we don't have to worry about sin anymore. And the process is we sometimes still wrestle with it. One day, we'll be at that place where we experience full deliverance. Christ is there. Notice the word appointed. God has planned this for you. He's preparing this for you. Notice this. That's where we're going to be in heaven with Him. And how glorious is that going to be? As a Baptist, one of the verses that stood out for me, it talks about the great feast. Incredible to be at that great feast with the Lord. Just praising Him. Galatians 1 verse 4 says this, Who gave Himself to our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. He's appointed us. It be incredible to be together with Him. We will live with Him one day. Those struggles that we go through right now, that hardship that you're going through, one day it will be over in the Lord's time. And we can rest assured in that. We can cling to Him, but one day we will be with Him. That should be even more exciting than the planned holiday we have. But it would be more exciting than trying to get out of the service. Be more exciting. Lord, you're coming back and I get to be with you. Don't we have a different view in life when we have that in perspective? My mother always had a 
a set of cutlery and cups and that we were never allowed to touch. And it was for the day that the Queen came over for tea. Being British citizens, when the Queen next visited South Africa, they knew my parents and they would come visit. It didn't make sense to me at all. It was a waste of things. I'm sure some of your parents have had that. It was the tradition. But it was this awareness, this awareness that somebody might be coming. How many times have we said, let's just quickly clean the house? Or told your kids to clean the house quickly because so and so is coming. It's this urgency, this response. Well, when we remember our destiny, we remember the fact that Christ is coming, this is where we're going. What is our response? Excitement. Yes, Lord, I can get through this because you are coming back. You can return. And I'm going to live with you forever. Isn't that incredible? So how do we kind of apply this? Well, firstly, we need to encourage one another, verse 11 tells us. And to encourage one another means to basically come alongside. We're each going to sometimes struggle. We're going to sometimes lose the focus of who we, who we are. We sometimes are going to struggle to act the way we should. And we're sometimes going to forget about our destiny, where we're going. And so to come alongside is this fact that God has brought us in his church to kind of put our arms, socially distanced, COVID-friendly, but put our arms alongside someone. Grab hold of them and say, you've got this. I want to encourage you during this time. We're called to do that. The words of encouragement is, God is coming back soon. That's the encouragement. So who do you need to come alongside? Who do you need to encourage or maybe you need that encouragement. Maybe you need to look to someone and say, right now, I, I'm struggling with this. I'm not waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on so many different things that have lost focus. Maybe you need that encouragement. We need to live out our faith. 1 John 3 verse 2 to, uh, 2 to 3 says this, But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for he shall, we, we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. It's just getting ready. God, I want to live for you. I want to shine my light. I don't want to dampen that light. I want to use that opportunity to live out my faith. It kind of puts us in perspective of the fact that the things that we, we hope and we anchor and we put it in physical things, we realize that they're not actually that important. But how we live out our faith is so much more key in this. And so we need to live out our faith. And thirdly, we need to share Jesus with others. There's two choices. Either to be children of the light or children of the darkness. We need to reach into the light. We need to shine Christ. We don't want, to experience, we don't want them to be experience a life without him. And so it should be our absolute desire and passion. Not just left for the pastors or the evangelists, but something we all do. So it's not asking the, the when question, but it's asking the what question and the how question. God, what are you doing? And how do I respond to that? How do I wait for you during this? I'm going to end off with verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be 
get blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Our Lord is coming back again and coming soon. Father God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your promise and we know through scripture and we've seen so countlessly the amount of promises you have kept and you are faithful. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You know the time, you know the hour, and your timing is perfect. Lord, you've reached out to us. It wasn't us that reached out to you. It is you that grabbed us. It is you that displayed your love on the cross. And Lord, may we realize who we are. Lord, may we have forgotten that. Forgotten what it means to be your children. Pray that reminder of your absolute mercy and grace, the fact that you have done it, not what we have done. And Father God, we just pray that we would act out in the right way. Respond to you being so spiritually aware. And I pray for those that are here today that feel far from you, that they may be so aware of your presence tonight. Lord, that they may so be aware of you and your word and your comfort, that you are the one who calls. You are the one who calls us to place our hope in. And so, Father God, we pray that you would do that. Reveal your voice. Remind us of the urgency of your return. Remind us of this, this desire to serve you, for you reign and you are alive. And you are returning. Give us that urgency that we bring out that tea set, that we get this readiness. To say as if today is the last. I want to live for you. So help us to do that. I pray in your name. Amen.